You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're in the book of Haggai. Hopefully you found it. Let's stand. Haggai chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read the chapter here, just so because the, whole, the context of our message is the whole chapter here. We'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have, shown, ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from, the, from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon the labor of the hands. That's a pretty exhaustive list of that which God has withheld his blessing from. Verse 12, then, look at their response. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Quite a passage here of a message that God is trying to give to the children of Israel and I think there are some parallels that will help us in, in this day, in this time, in the season we're in. So thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated. One of technology's great advances in recent years is the, the GPS. And I make a habit of not bringing my phone with me when I get, come to the pulpit, so I don't have it, but I have a watch that has a GPS in it. I think we'd be surprised how many GPSs are all around us at all the time. All the time. 
Uh, the GPS, for those of you that aren't familiar, it's the Global Positioning System. It's a satellite-based navigation system that is owned by the U.S. government and, from what I understand, is actually operated by the United States Air Force. It can provide a person's location anywhere on Earth, provided it has a clear line of sight to GPS satellites. Now, um, those, the, the men in this room, we know what GPSs are all about because we have those built into our bodies naturally. So, um, if you have a cell phone, not really. I've been lost before, uh, once. If you have a cell phone that doesn't flip open, then you likely have a GPS in your pocket or on your person even right now, all the time. It's a little scary to think the U.S. government is likely can tell me more accurately where I am than I can sometimes. Uh, a GPS is a location device. It's meant to let us know where we are. And if you're trying to get somewhere, it's an invaluable tool because you may have a destination in mind, but if you don't know where you are, you really don't know the steps to take to get to your destination. For example, on Friday night, my dad and I had just pulled into the house and and sat down, and I had a friend call or text me out of the blue, and he was a, a young man that grew up in our youth group, and he's married now um, with a family, and he's, he said, I'm in Sioux Falls right now. And of course, you don't ever expect messages like that. He lives in Washington State, but he and his wife had taken kind of a last-minute trip from Washington down to Missouri, and they were driving back through, and so I texted him back, you know, with a bunch of question marks, like, what are you, you're in Sioux Falls? And I said, do you have a place to stay? I offered him our guest room, and, and within 30 minutes, he was sitting right there in our family room. So that was a big surprise on Friday night, but I enjoyed getting to see him. But in order to help him get to our house, I sent him our address, and I asked him where he was. And he was, in that moment, they were driving through Sioux Falls. They had stopped at Falls Park just to take a break and see. And they're from Washington, by the way, they're from Washington State, and they were impressed with Falls Park here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So... It's a, it's a nice spot down there. They were walking around and enjoying it. I sent him our address. I asked him where he was, and he said, we're at Falls Park. And he responded back after he got my address and said, my phone says I'm 11 minutes away from your house. And, it, you know, that's interesting. What used to be somewhat of a guess, you would have to guess I probably, according to the map, you know, I might be this far away. But because he has a GPS, it, it told him precisely where he was. You know, you can open a, your map application, and if your phone is like mine, at least on my phone, there's a big blue dot that shows up on the screen, and that dot is telling me right where I am. And I'm not saying it's always accurate. I know the illustration falls apart on some level, but it's usually pretty accurate if you have reception. And if you know where you're going, you can very accurately tell how long and what route it will take you to get to where you're going based on the fact that you know where you are. But if you don't know where you are, if, if, if there's no big blue dot on your screen, knowing where you're going doesn't help you much because you don't know where you're supposed to start from. You have to determine where you are to find out where you, where you need to go and how to get there. And you might say that is so obvious, but sometimes the obvious lessons are the ones that we most easily miss. Because this applies to our spiritual lives as well. If we want to achieve some spiritual goal or we want to get to some point spiritually, it, it, but if we, if we don't start by knowing where we are, we likely won't get where we're going. Sometimes it takes us just stepping back 
in evaluating where we are if we're going to get where we need to go. We need to find the big blue dot. In simple terms, this is the message that Haggai is preaching to Judah here in chapter 1. Last week we looked at Haggai chapter 2, and, but in preparing that message, I started looking at chapter 1 and realizing there's some relevance here to our situation. And I know that's doing things backwards. Normally you start in chapter 1 and go to chapter 2, but I thought, you know, the last two months there hasn't been anything happened that we expected. So doing it out of, Haggai out of order probably makes the most sense even right now. And Haggai starts his message by giving Judah a big blue dot. He lets them know right where they are. He wants them to know where they need to go, but they first have to acknowledge where they are. They couldn't get to where they were going until they figured out where they were. Now, one interesting thing here about Haggai is his message is we get exact dates for his message. According to a common understanding of the Jewish calendar, Haggai would have preached this first message here in chapter 1 uh, in, on August 29th, 520 B.C. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, to know the year he preached it, it gives us a time and historical context and helps us understand why he was preaching the message. We know based on history that 520 B.C. would have been 66 years after Babylon had come and ransacked Jerusalem and taken down the temple and then taken the Jews captive to Babylon. Well, a few years later, Cyrus, the king of Persia, had come along and he captured Jerusalem and then he issued an edict that would allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple and rebuild their city. So when Haggai is here exhorting the Jews to rebuild the temple, we know based on timelines, as close as we can tell, they've been back in Jerusalem now for 18 years. 18 years. And when they first came back, they were gung-ho about building the temple. So they started with the foundation. And as they built the foundation, they even dedicated it. They were excited. But then they got an edict because of their enemies, the Samaritans, convincing the king that they were rebelling. He put a stop to the work. So they stopped the work, and all they had was a foundation. But based on what we know here in Haggai chapter 1, at some point in those 15 to 18 years, they had an opportunity to begin rebuilding the temple once again. But instead of getting back to work... The foundation was sitting there and no work was being done. Based on the message here, they had the opportunity, but they didn't take it. They put off the building of the house of God and they had lost sight of the importance of God's house because of other priorities. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? The restrictions lift. You know, for the most part, people are in their homes, have been in their homes. The restrictions start to lift. And after a couple of months, not 15 to 18 years, but after a couple of months of being in our homes and getting used to the convenience and used to the comfort and maybe some mornings watching church in our pajamas, we get used to it. But the restrictions lift like they did for here, but we're so used to the way that things have been. I think it's a concern for us that we need to be mindful of the fact that God's house should remain our priority. Thank you. Word of the Lord comes to Haggai to be delivered to Zerubbabel, the builder and governor, and Joshua, the high priest. They're specifically mentioned, but the message is for all the people. And it's important that we understand their mindset. Look at God's evaluation of their mindset in verse 2. 
Look what he says. It says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. So in God's mind, he has heard them say this. He, he is evaluating them, and it's obvious by his mentioning their words that their attitude about God's house is not correct. They were saying, we have the opportunity to build God's house, but it's just not time yet. It's not the right time to focus on God's house. But the Lord's message comes along through Haggai and makes it very clear that it's always time to focus on God's house. There's never a wrong time to build the work of God's house and to put our passion and put our energy and to place our priority on God's house. His house should never be an afterthought. So he sends Haggai to help them change their thinking. And Haggai's message begins with a challenge. His challenge is, it's time to evaluate your position. He comes along, and here's a challenge. It's time to evaluate your position. What he's saying, according to the opening illustration, is Jerusalem, Jews, children of Israel, it's time to find your blue dot. You can say you're one place, but it's time to look on the GPS and find out exactly where you are. Look at verse 3. Evaluate your position. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying... Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? He begins with a question. So basically the, the gist of the question is this. So it's not time for you to focus on God's house, but it is time for you to dwell in your own nice, comfortable, fixed up houses while God's house lies in waste? It's a rhetorical question. And he doesn't come out and tell them what they're doing wrong. He asks them a question. And I love these kind of probing questions. You're a little bit less defensive when somebody asks you a question, but if it's the right question, you have to answer it honestly. And this is the right question for them. They had exalted their personal lives above their spiritual lives. The temple of God represented the place where God dwelled among his people. This is no small thing, folks. The temple of God, the house of God, is where God met with and dwelled with his people. So that means they were elevating the priority of their own homes above the house of God where he dwelt and what represented his presence. It was time for them to evaluate their position. They needed to find their blue dot and Haggai's helping them. They need to take note of where they truly are if they're going to get back to where they need to be. And I do appreciate Haggai's approach. He's not accusing, he's asking a question. And sometimes, if maybe this helps you, sometimes we're more honest and less defensive when someone comes and asks those kind of questions than when we're being accused. And I love how Haggai does it. He doesn't say, your motives are wrong. He doesn't say, you're being complacent. He doesn't say, you're being lazy. No, he asks them some questions so that they would start evaluating for themselves. And folks, we need to be the kind of people here at Eastside Baptist Church that we do thinking and examining for ourselves. That we don't have to have someone always come along and tell us what we're doing wrong we need to be so sensitive to God's message that we evaluate for ourselves where we are and that someone doesn't have to come along and walk us through on our Christian lives. And we need to be, do some self-examination, some self-evaluation. And that's why he asks these questions. He's asking, are you okay with the fact that you're hanging out in your nice homes, but the temple lies in waste? I mean, that's a pretty convicting question. He says in verse 5, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Examine the facts. 
Again, that, that literally means set to heart, which means basically he's saying, think about what you're doing and what's happening as a result. And then again, rather than saying, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, he asks a question they have to answer. And then he gives them the symptoms. He gives them the results of their decisions. Look in verse six, look at this list. He says, ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, and ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. He basically comes down and says, he doesn't tell them what they're doing wrong. He tells them the results of what they're doing wrong. He says, right now, your crops are not doing well. You don't have enough food. You have drink, but it's not satisfying. Your clothes are not keeping you warm. And no matter how much money you make, it's like it's never enough to meet your needs. It's like putting money into a bag with holes. He's not accusing them. He's simply giving them the facts so that they can evaluate their own position. He doesn't even tell them where they are. He points to the symptoms. It's like going to the doctor and the doctor sits down and the first thing the doctor says is, yeah, um, you've got pneumonia. And you say, but I haven't even given you my symptoms yet. A doctor starts by asking you your symptoms and you give him the symptoms, you tell them what's happening. He sits and he examines and he, he considers it and he basically comes to a conclusion based on your symptoms. Well, he, Haggai's telling them, Come to a conclusion based on the symptoms here. Here are the symptoms. The crops are bad. There's not enough food. There's not enough to drink. Your clothes aren't warm enough. You don't know where your money is going. And you just need to stop and consider the fact. Here's the implication. God has stopped blessing you because your spiritual priorities have been set aside. God has stopped blessing you. These are things God controls. God controls our food. God controls our drink. God controls our provision. God controls how far our money goes. And for him to point these things out is for him to say, to imply that God has stopped blessing them because they've set aside spiritual priorities. You know what he's doing? He's saying, here's your blue dot. It's time to take a look and find out where you are. You need an honest look until you, you're not going to get where you need to go until you know where you are. Years back, we were, uh, we used to take a group of kids, uh, campers to, to camp in uh, Tennessee from Oklahoma. So it was a long trip. And I remember years back, there was one caravan that went before I did. I was bringing up the rear. Um, and so we were trying, traveling in two different caravans. And this caravan, um, there were probably 50 or 60 campers, uh, a couple of buses and a van, and a couple of sponsors and staff men that were leading the charge across uh, Arkansas in the middle of the night. And they, they were driving along and suddenly the bus quit, which if you go on a trip on a church bus, um, it's not a church trip unless the bus breaks down. So, so they're driving halfway through Arkansas and it's the middle of the night and the bus just stops right there on the freeway. So they get out, they try to figure out what's going on and they know they need a certain part. So they get in a van and they drive a few miles down the road to a service station that happens to be open there that late at night. They find somebody and he's helping them and he says, okay, now where are, where's your bus at? And they said, well, it's down here, just a few miles down here on Interstate 40. And he said, no, it's not. And they said, uh, yeah, it is. It's right just a few miles. We just drove. We just left it there. It's on Interstate 40, about two miles down the interstate. And again, he says, no, it's not. And they're thinking, what's wrong with this guy? We just left our bus there. 
we know that's where it is. And they said, well, what do you mean? No, it's not. He said, it's not on Interstate 40. And they said, what are you talking about? Well, this was the days before you could pull out the big blue dot. And he pulled out a thing called a map. Young people, it's a piece of paper with lines and cities and streets. He pulls out a map. I like to travel with an atlas, by the way, still kind of old school. So I get the, he gets the map out and he says, okay, here's I-40 and here's us. And he said, we're about an hour and a half away from Interstate 40. Somewhere, somehow driving through Little Rock, that caravan full of 50 or 60 campers and sponsors had gotten off the, wrong, of the I-40, the right interstate, and had driven two, uh, almost two hours in the wrong direction. And I'm thinking, in all that hour and a half or two hours that you're driving, you never saw the new freeway or interstate sign that tells you where you're at? So for that middle, it was middle of the night, I'm sure they were tired, but he, the guy was right. They were not on I-40. And for them, in order for them uh, to get back to where they needed to go, they needed to realize where they were. They were much further away from where they were, from where they thought they were than they thought they were. They were far away. And folks, I do believe that the children of Israel had gone complacent. I don't think they knew where their blue dot was. They had gotten so used to where they were, they didn't know where they were. They had elevated personal above spiritual. They had put the place where God dwells in the back seat. And I hate to say it, but I think it's true that many of God's children today have probably done the same thing. Many say they, they, they call themselves Christians, but they've diminished the importance of the place where God dwells. Not just the place, the building, I mean the church family where God dwells. Sunday activities in our culture, it used to be that Sundays were reserved for God's place. And now it's soccer practices and games and basketball and baseball in the summertime and volleyball. There's family get-togethers now on Sundays. Personal days of rest have risen to the top. There's hunting trips and camping trips and recreation on Sundays. And some, they don't have to. I understand it's different if you have to work, if your job requires it. But some choose to work on Sundays. So I'm asking then, rather than accusing, we should stop and say, what happened to the priority of God's house, even in our culture? In our churches? Maybe in our church? It's not just the place where God dwells. God's house represents God's presence. It's not just the building. He dwells with us. He meets with us. For the children of Israel to have to be that complacent about God's house was to essentially say that God's presence was not that important. And we neglect, when we neglect the priority of God's house, we're diminishing the importance of God's presence. And folks, it is time for us, for some of us, all of us, to evaluate our position and find our big blue dot, both in regard to God's house and in regard to God's presence in our lives. Because folks, I'm good at it too. We're really good at saying, oh yes, I'm plugged in. My heart is right here. And I'm striving for God's presence in my daily life. But I wonder if we pulled out a spiritual GPS for each of us, where our blue dots might actually land. What does the blue dot say? We can think we're somewhere, but the blue dot doesn't lie. How faithful are you to God's house? You know, we're about to find out 
how hard it might be to get faithful again after a break for a couple of months where we've been at home in our sealed houses, watching the services. If we've been lacking with church at home, it might be a tough transition when it's church at church. What is your blue dot of serving here? Say, you can say God's house is a priority, but in what areas do you regularly, regularly and weekly serve at Eastside Baptist Church? Every member needs a place to help build the house. I truly believe that every member of Eastside should serve in a weekly responsibility. Observing our church family, I mean, sometimes makes me believe that we need more people invested in this place on a weekly basis. The church should be on our minds all the time. The church should be the kind of thing that we love enough, and not just, again, the building, I mean the whole institution, that we're always thinking of ways to serve. We're always thinking of ways to volunteer. Our hearts are invested here, not just in services, but in serving. And if we don't serve, I wonder how honest it is to say where our, our, that our big blue dot is right here at God's house. What does your blue dot say of, of walking with God? What does it say about your relationship with God? You say that you're close, that you're walking, that you're putting in effort, but a spiritual GPS might have your blue dot out in the left field somewhere. Listen, there's never been a better time to evaluate, honestly evaluate our position with regard to the priority that we place on God's house and God's presence in our lives than right now. We are, we are at a place where I truly believe it is a time of evaluation. Things have been different. Things have changed. We're about to get back to normal, and it's time to, to examine ourselves. And I ask, where's the blue dot? When you truly evaluate it, is your heart, the, heart, the blue dot of your heart, is it right here at God's house? Is it with God's people? Is it close to God? After they accept the challenge to evaluate their position, then they receive this command. And the command is, it's time to adjust your practices. So the challenge is, and I don't normally alliterate. My, my dad preaches a message tonight that inspired me to alliterate. So here we go. The challenge is evaluate your position. The command is to adjust your practices. So once you know where you are, it's time then to start to get to work. See, the first time, look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, didn't he already say that once before, consider your ways? But the last time he said, consider your ways, he went to the symptoms and he said, here's what's happening. Now he goes to action. It's a call to action this time, not evaluation. If the first step of evaluating your position is finding the blue dot, then here, here are the steps to get where you need to go. Here are the turns. Here are the actionable items to get where you need to go. And you know, sometimes we complicate it. Look at verse 8. He says, thus say the Lord, consider your ways, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. Well, wow, that's, pretty, that's pretty complex, isn't it? You know, here's what he says. It's time to evaluate your position. Now that you know that your blue dot is not where it needs to be, it's time to take some steps. Here's some action. Here's, here's what you do. Are you ready? Here's what you do. You pray and fast for a week. You go up to a mountain and pray and make sure you have God's direction. No. He says, no, you get some wood, you walk up the hill, and you start to build the house. Not very complicated, is it? It's actually pretty simple. See, here the, here's the actionable item is, you, if you want to make God's house a priority again, here's what you do, folks. Here at Eastside, if we want to make God's house a priority, 
Here's what we do. We start working. We, we take some steps. We just get busy. He told them, get wood, walk up the hill, get to work. And look at the result of this simple obedience. Verse 8. He says, if you go up, to the, go up the mountain, bring wood, build the house, I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You know, sometimes we get this idea. We wonder, I don't know how to please God. I don't know how to glorify God. How do you do that? It's just so far out there and it's intangible. No, here's the step. You get busy, make his priority your priorities. Just get up there and get to work. Get busy, start working. You say, I don't know how to please God. I don't know how to glorify God. No, you can please God if you'll get to work on the things that he values. If you will get to work on his house and serving, you can please and glorify God. If you will love his people like he wants us to love his people. God, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We should love the church. We should give of ourselves to serve at this place. And if we will give ourselves to that, then God will be pleased with us and we will glorify him. If we will get involved in missions, that's his heart. It's the heartbeat of God. If we'll get involved in missions, he'll be pleased with and glorified in us. If we will take the gospel to strangers and try to get people to understand Jesus Christ, he will be pleased with and glorified in us. If we will start to look to meet needs and show love to other people like God does, he'll be pleased with and glorified in us. If we will teach truth and be doctrinally accurate from his word and try to lift up his word so that we are teaching his doctrines, he'll be pleased with and glorified in us. If we will choose to live right and seek his holiness and follow in his will, he will be pleased with and glorified in us. It's just not as hard as it sounds to please and glorify God. He says, get busy. And look at verse 9. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. He said, I, I, all your efforts, you were trying to do all these things, and you're trying to do so much, but your priorities were wrong, and I never let it come to pass. He said, why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house. It's waste. And you run every man unto his own house. Therefore, look at the symptom, more symptoms or results. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from the dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And he calls on a drought, a drought upon the land, and it affects the mountains and the corn and the wine and the oil and the ground and the men and the cattle and all the labor of every hand. His drought affects everything. And he points to shortages again. You know what he's doing again? He's making it clear that it is his active hand against them because they had not made God's house the priority. But folks, we need to be clear about this. God's house is so important to God that he will take serious steps to get our attention back to it. If we place God's house below fishing trips and Sunday baseball and Sunday naps and family get-togethers, why are we surprised when God's hand of blessing is removed and we experience spiritual drought? If you want to make God's house a priority, it's time to adjust some practices. Be faithful to every service. Now it's a great time to adjust your habits. I think it's like a, it's a clean slate. I mean, we've had two months where things were not normal, and maybe you're looking back and say, I should have been more faithful to God's house. There's never been a better time to start fresh than right now. It's a clean slate. And I love our Sunday morning crowds, and I'm thankful, but I truly believe a better test of the health of a church is revealed on Sunday and Wednesday nights. It's revealed at prayer meetings. 
It's revealed on this serving in the aspects outside of Sunday morning services. And I think it's a good question to ask, what does our evening attendance say about the health of Eastside Baptist Church? What does our involvement in outreach say about the health of Eastside Baptist Church? What does our attendance to prayer meeting say about the health of Eastside Baptist Church? Modern religion culture downplays the importance of more than one service a week. That's basically what what the modern church culture is doing. But listen, we can either submit to the consumer mentality that desires convenience or seek the disciple mentality that desires commitment. It becomes obvious in our commitment to God's house where the blue dot is, and it's time to evaluate our position and, if we need to, adjust some practices. And look at the benefit of adjusting our practices. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. Do you see the result? So they had a challenge to evaluate your position and a command to adjust your practices. And look at the culmination here. They get to enjoy God's presence. Listen, when we truly evaluate where we are, you listen here, we truly evaluate where we are and we make the adjustments that God's word says we should, then we get to enjoy God's presence. That's what it says. If you evaluate and you adjust, God wants to draw nigh to us when we draw nigh to him. What did they do? They simply obeyed the message. We can overcomplicate our lives. You want to know what God requires of us as his people? Obedience. And when we simply do what we know that God desires of us, it affects us. It says the people did fear before the Lord. God, listen, sometimes we're in, we, we get in this routine or this mindset that says, I just don't feel like it. And I'm going to wait till I feel right about it before I start obeying, before I start doing something. But according to this, they simply obeyed the message and then God changed the fear in their hearts. Sometimes we obey and it leads to understanding. Sometimes we just have to do what we know we're supposed to do and God changes us. So it affected them and it, affected, it brought them in alignment with their relationship with God. They feared him again in the way they should. And then his response to them was, I'm with you, saith the Lord. I love that James says, if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. We very often think, well, God's just far away and I can't find him. But if you will humble yourself before God and submit to his commandments and simply do what his word says, he's not far off. He actually will be right there near. Draw, he will draw nigh to us. You want God's presence in your life? It's not complicated. Hear his word, evaluate your position, and adjust your practices, and you can enjoy his presence. Folks, this is the beginning of revival. Revival is not some great, intangible, unknown thing. All revival is, is when God's people hear his word and evaluate their position and acknowledge where they are and simply adjust to fit with God's word. Obey it. You know, if we will simply get to work on what he values, this house, his people, we will have his presence. If we want God's presence, we must value what God values. You know, perhaps 
not having church the last two months has made us aware just how much we have taken it for granted. If that's true for you, would you just raise your hand? Perhaps the last two months has showed me how much I took God's house for granted. No, if that's the case, then we're like the children of Israel right here. They've been without God's house for a time. They've been in their sealed houses. It's time to evaluate their position and adjust their practices. And God is not far away as he responds to his people obeying and submitting to his desires. Had you grown complacent to the house of God? Had you grown used to the house of God? Maybe you developed habits that took you away from your church family more than you should have. Had you been, become unwilling to serve? Or had your place of service become a drudgery or maybe even something you resented or lost passion for? This whole season will be wasted if our love for God's house is diminished instead of increased. We should love God's house now more than ever. We should desire fellowship with God's people now more than ever. We should be more passionate about this house and this church family and serving now than we've ever been. And if we'd willingly be willing to honestly check our blue dot and adjust our practices to align with God's word, he will give us a newly found zeal for his people and his house. Look at verse 14. After all this happens, look what it says. It says, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. When we evaluate our position and adjust our, our practices, we experience his presence and we have a renewed excitement for the work of God. This house. This New Testament church, I know this is the temple, but it's God's work. And we're told in the New Testament that the church is the house of God, the living, the house of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. When we let this process play out, the natural outflow is we're going to get more excited about God's house. We're going to get ready. We're going to be come, coming back ready. We're going to be chomping at the bit to get involved. We're going to be ready to jump in and serve. So how's your spirit toward God's house? Toward what God values. If your blue dot is off somewhere else, it may be time to get out your spiritual GPS, which I think we probably really know what that is. The Bible is our mirror. It's time to get out the spiritual GPS and find out where we are and where we need to be. One interesting thing about a GPS is there have been times I was convinced I was in one place, convinced. But I pull out the GPS and find out I wasn't anywhere near where I thought I was. The blue dot told me differently. And it could be that spiritually we thought we were in one place. But when we actually sit down and evaluate and find our blue dot, we realize we're far away from where we thought we were. I believe this season could have lasting positive effects on God's people if they will willingly evaluate their position and adjust their practices and place the proper priority back on God's house. But we're about to get back to a more normal routine. What's your spirit toward God's house? Is it stirred up? Are you ready to get back to work? Or has it stalled? Just not passionate about God's house and God's people. And if that's the case, you fix it by 
finding your blue dot and just your practices. You can please and glorify God. That will in turn align us and we'll have the fear of God as we should and then we'll have his presence and blessings back. It's time to step out of our own houses, folks, and place some emphasis on God's house again. It could be that our time away has only increased the the appreciation for this. And if that's the case, maybe God deserves some gratitude for what we have. Maybe you say, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm excited. I'm ready to get back. But maybe you took for granted and it's time to come and tell the Lord today, thank you. Thank you for giving me a place that, that, that you love and that I love and that it's helpful to me and a place I can serve a New Testament church. I mean, when's the last time you just thanked him for the, your church? Folks, where's your blue dot? If we could open a GPS and it revealed your heart's position, is it anywhere close to Eastside Baptist Church? Is there a blue dot on your walk with God? Is there a blue dot on your desire to serve or pray for your church family? Evaluate your position, adjust your practices, and then you can enjoy God's presence and experience a renewed love for what God loves. This house, this church family, these people, these services, this fellowship. I leave you with this question this morning. Where's your blue dot? Your spiritual blue dot. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We will have a verse of invitation here in just a moment. Um, I'm going to pray. We'll have the invitation. And then we have a baptism this morning. So I'm going to go back and and take care of that. But just let the Lord work. I'm going to encourage you to respond today. Maybe you missed the altar. Maybe you took the altar for granted. It's been a while since you used it. Maybe you just want to come tell the Lord, thank you for giving me a place that I can be involved in and serve and love like you love. And I need my blue dot to be back back at Eastside Baptist. Maybe it's time to evaluate this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for its clarity. I pray that you give us wisdom and uh, discernment. Speak through your word to our hearts and help us respond accordingly. And I pray that people would make use of the altar today um, just so that that we or you know it's an outward sign that you know we're serious about your house. Help us to adjust our practices and evaluate our positions and enjoy your presence. Lord, thank you for your word. Pray that for someone here this morning um, who may not be saved, there may be some in here who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior. I'm thankful that that is a simple process too. It's really a matter of just believing. And if they will evaluate their position as a sinner and adjust their practices, not do works, but a change what they've been trusting in, and believe in your son that he died on a cross in their place for their sins, then they can enjoy God's presence in heaven someday forever. And I pray that you'd speak to maybe somebody's heart this morning who isn't saved. Work as you will in this invitation in Jesus' name. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.